Three brasser from Cape Town speaking to people, and those people are speaking back. Welcome to the Don't Know Show. Uh, welcome to the I Don't Know Show. Uh, today's guest is the illustrious uh, Michael Batch. Um, for those of you who don't know him, which is probably the large majority of him, because he's not an important guy. Um, <laughs> he is a PhD candidate and also a DJ, focusing on some of the fresher tracks that you will ever hear in your life. All right, so. Welcome, uh, Mike. Welcome, Mikey. What an intro. <laughs> Thanks for having I'm me. sure there's a, Mike, I'm sure there's a, there's a better description than DJ. I'm sure you thought of uh, something else. <laughs> so, so what, I don't uh, know. Superhero playboy philanthropist. What? So, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. When people say DJ, it always like it, it conjures up uh, an image of someone making someone dance, I guess. Yeah. And I think that's where people's limitations come in. Yeah, mm. it's a bit more than that. It is more than just yeah. playing music, but I mean, it's so yeah. called DJ. I think mm. that's something we're gonna get into a little later, yeah, which is uh, we maybe can dispel some of those, some of which I mean, it's part of it. But um, and with regard to what you're doing, it's a little bit more. It's almost music education. So yeah, um, yeah. Just let's get into a bit of a background, and so people can sort of know. Who you are, where you come from, you know. Born in West Philadelphia, you know. <laughs> Got some problems in the playground, that kind of type of thing. I wish I was born there. <laughs> Citizenship. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, late on us. Um, okay, so I was born in Zim in the 80s, 84, and uh, I came to Cape Town in 92. Um, I was like, what? Let's do the math. Seven, eight. Seven, eight years old. Yeah, I was turning eight. So like I had my early years in Bulawayo, Zimbabwe. And that was, that was nice. Very different to, to Cape Town. And then when I got here, I went to live with an uncle in Delft. And that's where I stayed until I was like 20 years old. And then I actually moved across the road from Delft for like another two years and yeah. So that's like my early, early days. And then adult life is just adult life. I mean, we're <laughs> moving around, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so like... Finding our space. Yeah. Are we? So what, how would you describe the contrast between like those early years living in, in Bulawayo till age eight and then sort of the, the culture shock of moving from from there to Cape Town and in Taft also which is you know a totally different type of environment yeah talk about being thrown in the deep end of Cape Town like first yeah, Chuck's I Delft suppo- I suppose <laughs> you, yeah. you could say that's the deep end yeah. the thing is I, I didn't even know it was the deep end you know it was kind of like I, I don't think my story is, is, is unique um, in terms of like immigrants in any country, when you as an immigrant, when you go to another country, you you have the, your imagination of what it's going to be like, mm. 
and then there's the reality of the place that you don't have control over you just end up there so like yeah. for me uh, I in Zim I grew up in like a, a middle class type home so I lived in in the city in the city center uh, I went to a private school I was an only child um, and then my mother passed away so then my uncle in Cape Town came to, to, to fetch me and to like adopt me, even though he didn't actually do it in the end with papers, but like he adopted me. So um, in Zim, we had this, this image of this uncle of ours, like he lived in Cape Town by the sea. So we obviously thought Cape Town was like what we saw on TV. You know, whenever you saw a beach or something, we like, oh, Cape Town looks like that because yeah. we saw some photos. Yeah. So when my mother passed on, I actually went to another uncle first in Bulawayo. Um, and he also, like, his kids were at the private school. And it was just, like, middle class. You know, Zim was free um, since 1980. So there was a, a, a black middle class of which like my, my my mother and my uncle and so on were part of. So that was just life for me. And then when I came to, to Cape Town, obviously South Africa wasn't free at that point. Mm. There was still, you know, Delft is a colored area and so-and-so, Cooks is a black area and um, yeah. wherever is a white area. So I didn't know that. Like, mm. cause I came from an African country I heard African music on the radio. I saw Africans on TV. Mm. Like, it wasn't foreign for me to see middle-class black people. Yeah. Mm. So when I came to Cape Town, it was like, what the fuck? I was just like in a... It, it was actually my first day here. It was so surreal because, like, the Alpha had sand only. <laughs> it wasn't an RDP place. Mm. It, it, it yeah. was it was like the last of the apartheid government developments. Mm. So it was just like basically homes with sand, and people would kind of like just demarcate the yard if they cared to do so. Most people didn't. So it was just mm. like you can okay. imagine like a desert with houses. Yeah. And the first day I got there, it was it was still on. Uh, um, it was Good Friday I arrived. Like, my uncle's wife offered me fish. I'd never eaten fish from the sea before. <laughs> so, like, my first meal already was, like, deep end. Yeah. You want to use the fish as a metaphor? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was pickled fish, I remember. Uh -huh. I was like, nah, I'll have peanut butter and bread. <laughs> you wanted the fan. <laughs> nah, I wasn't. It was just something so foreign to me. Foreign, yeah. Uh. And then um, I went outside to play, and the temperature mm. was was cold, like because yeah. I'm I'm from a place where it's, summer is like 42, 43, and I was here on Good Friday, so you know the weather is always blind. Yeah. So I came, I went outside. I remember like it was so cold, and I was trying to figure out where I am and shit. And then this one of the neighbors, his name was his boy. He just took a rock and threw me. 
<laughs> First time ever. Welcome to Cape Town. Welcome yeah. to Delft. It, it was the first act of violence someone like did to me. Other than like mm. a, a first fight in, in some AI yeah. uh. with a friend of mine. But it was the first time I saw someone like physically throw, throw a rock at someone. Uh. It was like so bizarre. And for no reason. For no reason. <laughs> for no reason, yeah. <laughs> Plus I was English also. <coughs> And Delft is Afrikaans. Oh man, yeah. Mm. So I had to still like also reckon with that kind of like hierarchy, you know. Yeah. To navigate the, the environment. Oh yeah. yeah. And then I mean, you 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 kind of made your way through that, right? Through the primary school system, and then into high school, uh, full yeah. high, yeah. Um, an interesting thing that I. Uh, in, when I initially heard it, found a lot, uh, relatively amusing <laughs> was that you had the highest marks ever recorded in the history of the school. I'm not sure if that's still the case, um, mm-hmm. but at the time that we spoke about it, you had the highest marks ever recorded in the history and of the school. Yeah, and it wasn't like it wasn't like the best marks in the province. I mean, it was still a long shot from the. Yeah. But yeah, it, it speaks to the environment. I mean, it was kind of like uh, I had some sort of other education um, and also being from another country is a form of education in, in its mm. own. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. I mean, yeah, I get, but there's still sort of, <clears throat> I mean, you've been there for a number of years, right? So, in Cape Town, so you would, you would start to amalgamate or, or sort of get more in touch with the, with um with the Cape Town way of living. So what do you think um, still drove you or, or, or gave you that sort of want for learning and for, you know, doing well at school and and moving in that direction, uh, especially under the circumstances in, in the place you were? And I know at the time, I think, during that time, I think Voorberg was one of the top mm-hmm. schools with regard to um, violence and unrest and that sort of thing. Nah, it was the number one worst well, school in the yeah, country, actually. In, yeah, at the time. So, well, I'm not sure about that now, but yeah. So you coming? So you so you coming from Zimbabwe? Uh, we were middle class. You coming into a new environment, right? You've gone through the uh, the primary school system in in Delft as mm-hmm. well, and now you're going into the high school system. <coughs> and not only are you going into the high school system, you're going into the worst school. Um, yeah. with regard to uh, discipline and, and, and violence and gangsterism and so on and so forth in the country. Um, and you're coming out there with the highest marks recorded. You're coming out there with a, with a greater yearning for education. Um, and so the, the, there has to be some sort of drive or some sort of an in, initial thing that, that drove mm. you uh, towards that as opposed to the, you know, the less savory things or the more nefarious things that you could have gotten involved in? What do you I think mean, that was? like, to be honest with you, it wasn't like a, there wasn't a game plan or anything. It was just like, it, it was a set of circumstances. Like, when, when I got here, there were no Zimbabweans working at the service stations and so on. You know, so I, I, I was like really an immigrant on my own, but uh, what kind of helped me through was just coincidences like uh, um, the whole colored thing, for instance, that helped me. 
because I just looked like everyone else. Mm-hmm. <coughs> I got to fit in, you know, so that made it a bit easier. It made it a lot easier, actually. You know, that was that was the one thing. And then, like, just the way I was raised, my uncle was kind of old school. His wife was, like, super strict. Even though we didn't get along, she had rules and shit. <clears throat> so, obviously, you had to go to school in our house. There's, like, no fucking way you couldn't. Even though, like, two of my cousins actually didn't end up finishing school. Because um, we were five in the house. I lived with my four cousins. Yeah. But I was obviously older that time and it was the 90s and it was like no school I have to finish it there's no way about it so I actually didn't even excel in primary school and and, and before standard 10 I just didn't I didn't put in my all in retrospect I could have done like I could have done much much better Um, even matric I actually just did well because my teacher offered me a thousand bucks to get an A in <laughs> Incentive. <laughs> yeah. That was like my main reason for like mm. doing well. And actually mm. I, I, I did apply to, to Pintic. So, but I knew I was going to get the marks for that, you know. Mm. So, But I didn't like say, oh, I'm using education as a crutch or whatever. Yeah. I think mm. like we also... Uh, 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 culturally and um, maybe even genetically predisposed to, to, to certain things like some people are born with a musical talent some people can play sport and you'll see it in their blood mm-hmm. so like I, I've, I've now like done a lot of research with my family and I can see that uh, uh, a lot of my family members were intellectuals academics and so on mm-hmm even though I didn't know it. Mm. So it kind of like, I think it's just something that comes naturally. Mm. Yeah. And so we moved from, from university. You said you applied to Pentec and obviously, and I think late on, as I recall, you registered late for UWC. Yeah. Um, and then you, you come into university. To, and again, a totally different sort of environment. Um, exposure to different types of people. <coughs> Um, relatively eclectic group of people, as I recall, um, soul buddies and so on. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, um, and so, yeah. Take us through, take us through that a little bit, and take us through because I I know that, um, in fact, Michael and I have known each other for quite some time, and we met um, this, again through circumstance because um, we both applied a little late. And we both were in the wrong place <laughs> with yeah. regard to our registration because UWC had sent us a letter saying, <clears throat> hey, you in. And then there was a little bit of ambiguity with regard to whether we should write an entrance exam or not since we had already gotten um, good, both of us yeah. gotten good marks at, in matric. And so um, and so when we... We both then said, well, um, we're just going to write, write this thing just in case. And so when we found ourselves in orientation, we were in the wrong room. That was the room for people that had to write an entrance exam, and we were not one of those people. And then they moved us mid 
orientation is a little bit embarrassing, in fact. And I said, you three, get up and go to that other room. <laughs> in fact, we're still friends with the other guy, also Stan, who also had done the exact same thing. And so we found ourselves now sitting next to each other in the next room because we were the last to enter. Um, and so, I mean, we've experienced that sort of journey together. I think for very different reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, me, just because I grew up n- not even knowing <coughs> that UWC was a thing. Uh, um, and I'd come previously from UCT um, and had only that experience for a short period. Um, so how was that sort of again those early years or that let's just just say that beginning Uh. about you know experiencing that because for me that was sort of the time when things started to open up okay so like 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 at that point i was like 18 years old (coughs) so i'd been here in south africa for about 11 years and i'd been through through delft particular cape town so i was super street smart like I, I was at I was at varsity because I was street smart, you know. Um, I applied and my uncle said like, "Listen, yeah, dude. I can't do anything for you. I can only give you fifty bucks a week. That's ten rand a day for 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 traveling. That's all I can do for you." So I said, "Yeah, now I'm gonna take it. I'm gonna study." So I I I I I, I was a hustler from the get go. You know, I was like always selling shit <laughs> at home and, and like selling uh, whatever. I, if I saw someone was selling a Levi's or a pair of All Stars second hand, I buy it from them. I sell it to someone else, make a one fifty off that. That kind of vibe. So when I came to to UDubs, it was like my first introduction to like middle class coloured kids, mm. middle class coloured and black kids. Oh. Uh, middle class black South Africa like because at my school it wasn't like niggas didn't like drive cars or like your your your, your drape was a certain way you know keto <laughs> <laughs> <Get> standing <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there was like different we had different brands we were into and like I just had a different code mm. so when I when I got to university I met you guys and like, once again, it helped me that like I fitted into the whole colored mold. Like, uh, uh, um, it, it's a very interesting, it's a thread throughout my stay here in, in Cape Town. Um, like, because UDubs is, you know, the stereotype of UDubs, University of Wild Colors and whatnot. Mm. So when I went to UDubs, I was just like another type of colored person. You know, no one paid me too much mind or anything. So it was interesting because, like, I was kind of like, I'm a foreigner, but I'm also like, I got heavy kamanira, that means I don't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, I'm already, I'm always looking like, you know, mm. I always like, I would always walk past the brand think, yo, I'll swear I rob this bra quickly. <laughs> no, just for khatmak or something, <laughs> yeah. because I came from a community like yeah. that. You know, I, I like I like saw opportunity everywhere. I'd be like, yo, check mm. that piece here. Yeah. <laughs> no one with <laughs> me. Yeah, we've actually had many conversations. I actually <laughs> called the first time Michael said that we were walking 
um, in uh, just past B block, past the <laughs> main hall, and he just saw this guy, like a you know, relatively weak looking fellow, and he's like, "Yo, come here, we somehow rob this, bro." And my <laughs> my question, uh, coming from a middle class background, was, "Why? <laughs> why would we? Why would we do that, Michael?" And he he was just like, "Ah, it's just a joke." Okay, it was. It was. I was a good kid. I was a good kid in Delft. Like I wasn't like a a naughty bra or anything. Like to 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 reach the standards of to be notorious in a place like that, you have to be like legit. Mm. You know, like I I grew up with guys my age that were murderers and so on. You know, um, even my close friends. But I was straight and narrow type bra. But I was I was rough when I came to UDubs. You know, I was I wasn't like a I was very street smart. Mm-hmm. More than I should have actually the, I didn't realise it at the time, but when I got older I was like, oh shit. You were actually like much But yeah, that that was that was also something that uh, um I think being street smart is also a form of education. Mm-hmm. You just know how to, you know how to to do shit, right? You're gonna get something right, even if you don't know how. You know, so like my thing was, I, I, I was there and I was spending my valuable time coming into campus, so I had to pass. Mm. <clears throat> you know, that was how I I dealt with it, and then obviously like meeting people. I'm a people's person. That's where I thrived. I, I made lots of good friendships at university. And yeah, I think that that mm. was the main thing. I made like lots of solid connections with Mensa, you know. So, uh, yeah, so what I'm hearing here is you met me and your life changed. <laughs> yes, that's essentially what I'm getting from this. Everything started to go uphill for you after you met me. Absolutely. Fantastic. Absolutely. That's, what, that's what I like to hear, my friend. <laughs> that's what I like to hear. Of um, course, nothing it did, Rima. You probably just like a, a no, just my charm. Just by being, being there. Yeah. yeah, just by being there. Yeah, it was so it's so funny to hear the, the situation that you're describing here. I mean, because we were in similar situations, but probably for different reasons. Um, whereby we sort of had to to make our way via universities here and yeah. sports sports scholarships and stuff, and. Um, I think that also bound us a little bit um, because, you know, seeing, uh, the, you know, some, maybe some other people that is a little bit easier um, made us maybe want to just uh, give a little bit more. Um, yeah. And I do, I recall Michael on a regular basis um, telling me exactly how much each class cost. <laughs> so he had worked out um, the monetary value for every single class missed um, <laughs> that he essentially you know he said well you might as well burn that money if you're I was not going to those classes yeah so I that mean, was that was the manila that was like I mean I had to have yeah. some sort of logic for mm. what I'm doing also you know yeah okay so we're going through university it's successful you know um, you ended you ended quite well there um, we undergrad, postgrad as well. I think you got a cum cum in postgrad as well, eh? Mm. Cum laude in postgrad, um, linguistics, and then you then moved on. 
I think you moved on to the working world for a little bit. Um, yeah. And sort of, again, uh, that sort of, we experienced that together, that sort of change in being an idealistic, especially the, the types of stuff we studied, which was English and linguistics and the reasons that we came there um, was an idealistic sort of way of thinking. <coughs> and yeah. then you move into the real world, yeah, those things don't Look, always apply. If, honestly, you know, we, if I, in retrospect, I think we were all kind of ill-advised at university and, and because there isn't like a legacy of like tertiary education in our families yeah that we know there wasn't like some guidance mm -hmm. you know like my community my aunt didn't want me to be at university she wanted me to go work so i can contribute yeah. then the people in the community just called it college mm. the concept of university wasn't even like a thing in my my community it used to actually grate my tits when people say, who was he college? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, I fuck it, it's university, nigga, yeah. it's not college. <laughs> Shit, yeah, I'm, I'm busting my back to not be in college. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you, that annoys the so, shit out of me. Yeah, like, what was I saying? Um, shit, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah about, the, about the legacy, man, of, of, oh, of yeah. having its support systems of people so, that's yeah, been in university. Ill-advised, Ill you know. I, mm. We chose our, 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 our. Luckily, I chose things that I loved. Like I, I loved history. I genuinely loved it. I genuinely loved, uh, um, like novels and shit, and literature, and linguistics was very interesting for me because I wanted to be a journalist. But if I had to do it over, I would maybe change a few things, you know. So even even the university experience. There's also a lot of chance involved, the you know, mm. yeah. misguidance, but also like you know, you fall where you must fall. Yeah, yeah that's true. And I think, um, with regard to people coming from a particular community, uh, it's it's so um, vital, right, for them early to make the to try and make that right decision with regard to where they mm. go and, and what they go and study because for a lot of us we don't have the opportunity to just leave that and go and do another thing later on we say oh i don't yeah. like this now i've done it for two years and i, I actually don't want to do this anymore because where we headed is vocational so um w with regard to when you're speaking to uh, uh, ill-advised i think that's a, a super important point to 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 highlight yeah. Um, is that I think for a lot of academics and in the academic sphere, um, there needs to be an understanding that the university space for a lot of people is vocational. They want to go out there and be able to fulfill a particular role and go and do a particular job. And mm. I think within the university space, there's a large emphasis on the theoretical <coughs> framework of things as opposed to the practical output of things um, and, and that's one aspect of things right and then the other aspect is um, the, the understanding that free and open discourse is not can't be packaged in a neat bow free and open discourse is a sometimes nasty and and you know almost intellectually violent affair yeah um, and I think um, a lot of universities 
at, at right now don't approach that and and I think in my opinion sometimes the education and the or the potential to create really original free thinkers is doused a little by the need to put that in a particular package or particular box not, not a, a little a lot yeah I mean I work in higher education so like this is this is something I experience in meetings and in, in, in interactions with colleagues and stuff. There has to be like a death of a generation right now. Mm. Like, like you can see it even in the country. Mm. It's mirrored in academia. If you look at parliament, there's old people there. If you look at like how companies, a lot of companies are running. Mm. It's a lot of old people. Um, and those people were trained in sort of like the colonial system and they have a particular mindset and you cannot change them. Look at your yeah. parents. Think about changing your parents' ideology at this point. Yeah. yeah. It's difficult. It's now imagine your parents were in power because that's what's happening in this country and in higher education. It's people of parents' age with a particular worldview that are pushing... Uh, uh, things mm. yeah. and the youth is revolting I mean we like when we were at varsity we didn't have any revolt we didn't have any a sense of revolt but like now I mean my students question everything yeah. I do if I give them a task someone will like literally ask me like why is this relevant and I appreciate that yeah yeah because I'm from a younger generation and like I also can't do my job and just uh, be teaching a particular set of ideas. So I, I, I like the, the interaction with students, but I mean, my older colleagues, even if I have new ideas, it's, it's difficult to get through to them. Yeah, just to preface yeah. um, what Michael's saying, he is a, a currently a lecturer at, a, at an, an institution, so... Um, that is his primary role right now, as well as completing his PhD. Mm. He's um, he's currently involved in, in into the the, the tertiary education sector, um, and so it's interesting mm. to have this this sort of discourse w w with him, or with you, um, especially since it's something that we've experienced all three of us. Um, yeah, but on, and um, also like we're saying, there's no questioning. It's because I think we've all been, to a large extent, um, sort of we've been we grew up in the system where that was mm. strongly frowned upon. Um, yeah, you just had to be happy that you're there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and just sort of do it. And I think, uh, especially with regard to the globalization, which I'm really interested to get into after this, uh, the world becoming a lot smaller. I think they, those people, those younger generations have experienced or have seen that there's more out there and, the, and again, they want to be able to use what they're learning to apply yep. into the world. But I think it's also how easily accessible knowledge is right now, like yeah. from Absolutely. your handset, in your a device in your hand, you can, you can access so much knowledge on various topics. But I think on that point also, I think, as you said, Michael, with the not having that legacy or, or, or elders who could who could advise you, I think conversations also happen very late. Like probably when you in your last term in matric, 
conversation yeah. starts about university or tertiary education. And at that point, if you're 17, 18, you're not self-aware enough to make that decision of making career long or lifelong career decision. So, yeah. hey, you being in the field and every year meeting new first years or students, um, what would you advise those for parents right now who hasn't studied, who's, who's going to uh. give maybe not the best advice? What advice would you say that com- when to start the conversation and what the conversation should be? Dude, super, super, super important question in, in, in our communities. Mm. Like, do you know what I, I see now a lot of when I ask students, actually part of my first class is always I ask a student, why are you here? Like, what do you want to become one day? Mm. And the, the truth is, most of them don't know, just like us. I, mm. The same thing is continuing. Yeah. But like now, when they do say something, it's like, you know, in, in, in colored communities, uh, accountants are held mm. in, in high esteem, yeah. uh, doctor, a lot of PCOM things mm. that you have to do with the EMS faculty yeah and students come with that and law oh yeah, my gosh exactly. parents project I would say this to all parents because mm. like the parents about my age now also with first year kids do not project your life onto your lady because mm. you get a lot of these kids come in and they just there because the parents said, oh, you must become a lawyer, like uncle so-and-so. Mm. Or you must become this or that, you know. And, and the advice comes from, literally like from money. People yeah. see one accountant with, with a nice car and they want to send the kids to all be accountants. Yeah. You know, I, I think like if you were a parent, you need to sit and think about like you, you know your child yeah some uh, ladies need to be making cabinets yeah some ladies need to be building homes technical yeah no I mean we shouldn't even call it that because mm. these these things if it's you build homes you can study home building from across the continent across yeah. the globe you can look at different uh, it, it's, it can be academic yeah mm. You know, it's same thing with welding, welding understanding yeah. uh, uh, metal properties and so on. You can change the world. Yeah, but I think you, know, the, you can change designs of things. You mm. know, the yeah. I, I think the conversation is more about a job and not a career. It's all more about get earn money instead of doing constructive things or creating things now, or or building things that actually. It's substantial is more about earning a salary more about gaining more knowledge or I- expertise in a certain field i think it's more yeah, about that's get that's your outdated money. Yeah. bruh yeah mm. that, that's the problem you yeah, know one of the other yeah. knock-on effects with that is if you look at our communities there are no doctors mm. there are no there's a lot of professions that they, we don't have in like say mm. the colored community if you look at the mm. indian community for instance there's mm. a lot of doctors, a lot of yeah. financial people. If you get COVID now, you can't phone cousin so-and-so. Yeah, for advice or anything. Yeah, my white neighbors, you know, in the WhatsApp group, I think now last week someone said uh, the, the brother came who's a, do- a doctor 
He mm. looked after me. We don't have that shit. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so parents need to also think like uh, future and community and, and also but like family community. If you have yeah, one doctor in the family, that's good. But but yeah. another that's another cultural thing is that like in the community itself, if someone does go study and does become the doctor, they end up yeah. moving to another community. So that community where they grew up don't get to see how they have developed into someone of a certain stature. So I think our communities are staying as it is because all the yep. good is basically leaving and what's left behind, only the bad. And that's what youth is, that's what they get to look up to. And yeah. That's what they automatically aspire to. And I think yeah. the conversations are short term. So, I mean, mm. when you're having a conversation um, with, your, with, your, with your child about what they want to do, you must understand that this is something they're going to be choosing, uh, we're saying in an ideal world, to be doing for the rest of their lives. Right? So, yeah. it has to be something that they are passionate about, have an affinity for, mm. and can go forward and let's look we look at the alarming alarming uh, dropout rates i mean all of us experience that first year we come in there and there's 250 people in a lecture hall within six months you can pick your seat you mm. know so um again it's not a sustainable model for success in the country but, and but, but, but on a larger scale <laughs> that's just not something we can I mean, you yes, you want your kid to do this, but he might not have an affinity for that. He, like Mikey said, he might have an affinity and he yeah. might have a passion for building or for welding or for um, psychology or for you know. There's a number of mm. things. Look, those profi- those professions exist for a reason. Can, can um, I can, can I interject? Yeah. Just to I want to say something that uh, that Hilton said earlier. I wanted to jump on that. Uh, you said that like information is so easily available right now, right? Mm. That is so true. So like even the focus of, of like what I teach, I use technology like I have to because actually sending your light to the university doesn't mean anything. Mm. I, I'm sorry to say it like that because it sounds cut because you know I work in the system <laughs> but you know, if if you want your kid to be something, they have to do what they love. Because you're sending them to university to be X, Y, Z. These days, designers don't need to go to university. If you can use software really well and you can do freehand and you're great, you're great. Um, same with journalists. Yeah. If you write well, you can be on stories and... It is what it is. Yep. Mm. You know, even with writers, you see how people are, are, are writing, like blog writers are, are doing their thing. Mm. You know, people are, are, are less and less following sort of these official channels of the things. Because, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. knowledge is accessible. It's available. They're not going to go to your kid to do X, Y, Z one day because the technology will be able to do it. Yeah, but but that, but I think that's the the youth forcing change. That is, the the obviously that there's a digital sense of way things work. But I think with the, with the with the new developments coming from youth like uh, social media and yeah, they actually they they're pushing and and there is a bit of a pushback 
from the older generation or the old way of doing things. Yes. And I think we're at a time where there's a bit of friction be between the two. But uh, what I also want, what, to, uh, what Rimo was saying, I think the system itself, I know we're talking top end at the tertiary level, we, the conversation maybe, if you really talk about change, should go much lower down. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. but with regards, to, I think the system should be flexible too, because as I said, at 17, 18, you're not that self-aware. You, you still have a lot of learning, especially of yourself to go through, where you can't make decision right then. So yeah. even if you make the wrong decision, there should be some space or flexibility that you can change without um, hampering or stifling your, your development, where you yeah. can move into other fields but or... Yeah, or room, room for Universities failure. don't yeah. care, though. Yeah. You know, uni- universities are money-making institutions yeah. at yeah. the end of the day. So like, at the end of the day, you, you pay your fees, you go in, the, you do your education, and that's that. Mm. Yeah. But actually, the truth of the matter is like, even like now, right? Some things mm. to go study, some things. Imagine you studied uh, marketing 10 years ago. Mm. What are you going to do with it now? Exactly. It, it's over. If you studied broadcasting, what are you going to do with it now? The age of yeah. broadcasting is... It's almost dead. Yeah. It's personal yeah. broadcasting now. Yeah. You know. Print media. Print yeah. Like dying, yeah, even dying print media died. Musical yeah. closed now the other day. Yeah. Mm. So, you know, the universities are the floor. I mean, all civilizations have a floor. And now we're in a progress trap because our institutions can't keep up with mm. developments. Yeah. Uh, to touch on that, like, I've had numerous um, family members, younger family members or, um, come to me and ask me what they should study and because their parents want them to study something and I've always told them that a university is a means to an end and if your end, if your means doesn't justify the end, you shouldn't be going to university. Right? Mm. Like, I'm saying this, I loved my time at university and I wouldn't exchange yeah. it for anything, it's the best time of my mm. life. But it wasn't like that for everyone, right? And and that is because I came there with a passion for learning and, and understanding and wanting to genuinely love the thing I was doing, right? And it was and a period where that mattered. Yeah. And mm. it mattered yeah, exactly. more to go. Exactly. And, and that's the point. Like, we, if you want to become an actress or an actor or... You want to move into into social me- or anything of that nature? Go and get on your grind, right? Don't bother with university. You're wasting time. So again, university has its merits for yeah. certain people in certain situations, but they but you have to really be aware if that is something that you is going to help you at the end. If you're gonna go there and tell me, oh well, you know what? I want four years of fucking around. And I'll get a degree, but I just want to delay um, adulthood for a couple of years. You know what? You know if what, you, guys? If you can afford that shit, do it. But you're gonna, you effectively gonna be in a situation where you then have to go and do that job. We're actually missing a huge point also here. University is more accessible now than ever, and that makes yeah. it worse even now because it's so accessible. People think that they can send their lighters in through this magical mole and three <laughs> years when they come out on the other side, they're going to be professionals, Yeah, you know, and that is like not the case. I mean, more people are getting degrees now, 
Um, and there's a hundred people that can do your job. Yeah. Yeah. A few years ago, if you were a colored guy that was, uh, or a black dude, that is a, a, or an Indian dude that was an accountant, you one of few. Yeah. Now there's hundreds of you. You can't even be the token nigger, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, for real. You, you can't yeah. even be that brother that dies first in the movie, my bro. Yeah. You know, the whole cost is that. So yeah, uh, yeah, I get it, bro. Like it's and it's it's a really interesting time for us now, um, because I personally these aspects of young people now, you know, we're talking like we're like hundred years old, but I mean. <laughs> <laughs> but times has changed that, that quickly, <laughs> yes, that fast, and, that and we are actually way behind what's happening su- right now. Super good point, Hilton, because, <laughs> I mean, we're not that old, but times have moved so rapidly. So fast, if yeah. we just think about the time we, when when you, Michael and I started in first year. Floppy drives. Floppy drives. Yeah. <laughs> we used floppy drives, bro. And there wasn't, no, nobody was walking around with a laptop. I mean, mm. we saw a bra walking with a laptop. We were like, who is this bra? And yeah. he's Bill Gates' father, you guys. So... <laughs> It's like uh, we, we, we had to go to the writing center to do things. We had to print out everything. Um, I wrote my essays. Yes, and yeah. myself as well. I wrote and wrote my essays yeah. in first year. And, and then we move on and very quickly we've left university. And in 2008, 2007, social media explodes. Mm. And Michael and I were on the, on the, on, at the time working for UWC in different capacity. And we, the two of us, came up with the idea to sort of start growing um, UWC's um, online presence with regard to Facebook. Yeah. Um, and the the amount of research and work we had to put in and then go and present that to the powers that be took us probably three months to do. It was actually quite a large project. Now, it's an... It's a no-brainer, right? You have something yeah. you need to promote on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. At that time, there was such so much fear for what are they going to say? Like, what if they slander the university? And we had to try and explain that that's what an open forum is about. And mm, if yeah. they are going to say those things, they feel that we need to address it. We have to be open to those things. We are, after all, a university. And that you should know, be... You know, I forgot about that. Yeah, and university should be at the vanguard of freedom of speech. A university Mm. should be, you can say whatever you say, as long as you have a valid point and you can substantiate what you're saying, we can have an open discord. Even if your point fundamentally goes against my worldview, we should be open to that conversation. And that is exactly the problem we have there. Like, that that is not the case we don't have a situation where we can go into active debates and not end up hating each other at the end of it like we don't have to agree we can agree to disagree on a particular subject and still be cordial to yeah. each other um and i think but that's, that's an ideal world yeah and that's a big i mean listen i mean michael and i you and i Hilton, we've had monumental disagreements on particular subjects and still don't agree on many things right mm. that doesn't mean we have to hate each other that just means you know i think you're wrong and you think i'm wrong and um, that's fine you know i but, think you know, but, well there's there, there, there's obviously limits and stuff of I course mean, like, of course mm. if somebody's worldview 
100% contradicts your worldview. There's going to be some sort of thing where you're like, ah, we can't hang, you know? You know, like, uh, like say, for instance, like now in the university, I, I'll just relate something to you that I'm experiencing. So, like, there's this wave of decolonization that's happening with universities and institutions, mm. right? And now I find myself in the midst of this. So, I'm a young black academic, Mm. And it's decolonization time. And most of my staff members are much older, 50s, 60s. They all were taught in the colonial system. And mm. everything they believe or, or that they are like hold it high is esteem is sort of colonial education. Yeah. You know, so I'm in, in stark disagreement with them with an, on an issue mm. like that. And I can't budge. Yeah. You know, so some issues, some things are just like, it's like with gender also. You know, if mm. if, if you want to write about gender, you want to speak about gender, you have to know the language. Uh, you have to understand the history of gender biases and so mm. on and so forth. Mm -hmm. You can't come with like a worldview that's sort of like has gender biases or... Uh, where you only see binaries and stuff, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Some things, some ideas just don't stand the test of time. And you have to actually throw them into the dustbin of history. There's like no... No place for it. Middle ground. There's yeah. no middle ground, yeah. Uh, uh, 100%. Like, so that in, in that sort of sense, um, for me, I'd still be open to having the conversation. At the end, if there's no... Um, because I, I think it's important for us to even uh, confront that sort of hatred or that sort of bias yeah. with, with a, mm. a level of understanding and, and just Absolutely. trying to understand I mean mm. yeah, tolerance, can, yeah. yeah yeah and we can even say like it's you know it's, it's understanding that sort of mindset uh, because it's for, for, for those of us who grew up being educated and, and continuing to educate ourselves that can sometimes be a little bit of a baffling um, approach to life like what like you're gonna be like what the hell is this like how is this person believing this like or how is this person perpetuating this particular stereotype or whatever we, we have so it's important for us to try and look yeah so you you, you, you find mind, middle you know? ground I mean like you know for instance like with religion mm. you don't believe what someone believes in you could you might, you could even think it's bullshit, but you give them the level of respect. Mm -hmm. You know, the problem is though that, like, you know, when people force the reality on you, yeah, yeah. then it becomes a bit of a problem. Then yeah. you have to push back yeah. violently. But other than that, I think we all kind of practice yeah. some sort of tolerance. Yeah, I think that's super important. But I, but I, but I think also, like, just looking at upbringing and talking about colonial upbringing it was very black or white so yeah. a lot of the older generation <laughs> and even us to a certain extent there was very little space for tolerance either you do this and it's right if you do the, the opposite of that it's wrong no thing. yeah <laughs> and i think that, I, and i think because of that there's no conversations happening and and normally it's just people saying what they believe and other people saying what they believe back but there's no conversation we actually hear where that other person is coming from we might not agree with them, but you understand why they believe what, yeah, what they, what they why believe. they do. Yeah, often so it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not into mudslinging. 
Yeah, exactly. It just comes knocking the next but person's see, one down. But the thing is, this is where fake news comes in. Mm. You know, a, a lot of the academic discourse that we were taught and a lot of the, the ideas that are seen to be right in society are fake news. Mm-hmm. Mm. You know, let's take race, for instance. Mm. Uh, race is a scientific myth. Mm. There's no difference between like a white person, a black person, or whatever else. The the differences are so minuscule, but in reality, we've conflated it to such a level that it is it is actually there are differences, and we yeah. see those differences. Yeah, yeah. you know. So there's a, there's also a lot of that kind of ideology that is kind of, is fake news. You should treat mm. it like you would if someone post an article that says uh, 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 there's a chip in your vaccine or whatever. Yeah. You know what I mean? But but that's a, the, the dark side again of having access to all this knowledge. You have to now discern or sift through what is correct I and what is... So. Like, I, I think before the, 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 the powerful people mm. were giving us bullshit and because we mm. didn't have the power of publishing, we just took shit in. Mm. You know, like now, for instance, if I want to learn something, I don't go to Harvard's YouTube page or something. Mm. I just go to some blogger that's interested in a topic. Mm. Like, say I want to learn about, like, uh, there's this geography uh, thing I, I, I watch on YouTube, for instance. This guy gives you a breakdown of a country in five minutes. He's passionate about it. Yeah. And if you double check his info, he's totally accurate. Mm. You know, so like this, 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 that. Yeah, you know, there's right. a lot of, of of little bits of information yeah. that are well presented in your language, mm. and then there's a lot of the shit that people put out there. Yeah, yeah. I'm a big fan of cross referencing as well. So yeah, mm. double, yeah, yeah uh, checking various sources because a, a big um, sort of peeve of mine is headline debaters. You know, yeah. you read the headline, mm. you read the paragra- first paragraph, you read the sort of bi- the top section or something, and then you want to have an active conversation about thing, something. But, mm. but um, let's look at, say, something that has been given, like, preference or power in terms of, like, say, fake news. Like, say, like Shakespeare, for instance. Yeah. Mm. It's fake news that Shakespeare was as brilliant as he was and that we need to learn his shit. Yep. Mm. You know, we, we should also approach our education like that. Mm. Yeah. And say like, whoa, 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 whoa. This geography, this map isn't right actually that you're showing me. I know it's fake news. Yeah, fun The real fact, map looks like this. Uh, fun fact, Shakespeare was actually unemployable as a playwright um, until Marlowe got killed in a bar fight. So <laughs> his, his actual fame was only, uh, was only there because the, the preferred playwright at the time was killed at the age of 27 in a bar fight. So that's also quite amusing. Listen, let's pivot a little bit. No, um, no it's one more, one more thing, um, Reem, okay, one more thing. It, Just on that, um, I think what's happening right now, especially with with all over the world, against nationalism and these type of groups emerging, is that you can select the knowledge now that you want to hear. Before yep. you know, there was certain public and, and and back then, hopefully there were there were there were good journalists or good writers giving both sides of a story. But right now, you can literally choose your side and just fill your brain or 
you all your knowledge would be just on that. So mm, I think yeah. that's also the dark side. Because right now, if, if if you believe if if you don't believe in the vaccine, you can just read for the next two months. Just people who believe the same thing as you, and Absolutely. people who write. So you get stuck in it all, and that's how you get these groups, and that's causing way friction because now it becomes a. The case of like tribalism, where this is my people, yeah. you have a yeah. definitely your people, and becomes much more emotional, much more. You aggressive. see, the, this is like I, I teach a course. You know, it's academic and information literacy, and the information lit- literacy part mm. literally speaks to what you're saying. Mm. So, like for half of the year, the students have to research something that is like a topic, say like the vaccine, for instance. Mm. Now, there's a lot of fake news and whatever. So yes. for them to pass that essay, they have to sift through both sides of the yeah. of the story. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it's no longer uh, good enough to ask someone, oh, "Give me your opinion," because they can cherry yeah. pick one. Yeah, you have to ask them to understand the discourse around any topic. What mm. what is the fake stuff? What is the the real stuff? What are your sources and so on? So like, yeah, I mean, that's a very important thing you say. Yeah, maybe maybe going forward that should be taught much, much like maybe earlier. the secondary level much earlier, <laughs> yeah, especially with okay. the way things are going now. Absolutely, okay. we could I be looking into wars happening, and really people are so far apart. Whereas information and social media and technology should have brought yeah. us together. It's actually pushing us apart now. And 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 do you know what? Uh, on that note, before we move on, mm. there have been a couple of revolutions and government changes now in Africa mm. that have been affected by social media. Yeah. The very weapon that we say is it's dangerous, but it's also... Mm. Also, yeah. The, the youngsters know how to use it and to mobilize... I mean, the Arab Spring revolutions, that was mm. all of North Africa. That was Twitter. I mean, now in Uganda, mm. this guy, Bobby Wine, he mm. mostly got his support via social media. Because <coughs> the state still mm. owns media, you know? Yeah. Mm. So, like, definitely people need to know how to harness this thing. Yeah. And, I mean, also how to read it and, and, and navigate yeah, just I look what happened with, with GameStop. Uh, like, uh, yeah. oh <laughs> they, they just changed the way things operate on Wall Street. Just yeah. the youth and using through, technology. Through, through a Reddit post. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I remember us being at um, in history, history with Becky. Shout out Becky, one of the m- more innovative lectures we had. And we were separated into two two groups and having to debate a particular particular point even if your worldview was against that particular point and <coughs> it got a, a pretty emotional um, at the time and that's a, again another point of that people struggle to do that um, and to look at that other side of things anyways let's pivot a little bit and have some yeah. let's go do a speed run so how this works Mikey is we're going to ask you some questions Okay. And you just answer as, as, as fast as possible. Right? Uh, the first one is going to be particularly odd. We, so we might talk for 30 minutes on this topic. Nah, nah, speed. <laughs> we're, just gonna, we're just gonna boost through this. I'll, I'll, keep, it, I'll keep it short. Uh, question one. Favorite musical artist of all time? Yo. Damn. <laughs> oh my God. Yo, you're asking me something hectic. Yeah. Of all time, one person, one group, or one person. Okay, rather ask right, right now. 
Right now. Okay, yeah, let's do it yeah. right now. In your in your mind, what are you um leaning towards like when you listen to someone, this is my favorite of all time. You know you say that the different points is, in your I, life. I, I'm always listening back and forward mm. constantly. Like you guys know I'm a record collector, so like mm. I'm I'm listening backward, but then I'm also making links with what's happening now. So I think uh, uh, the contemporary can I give it a contemporary and an older artist? Yeah, sure. Go yeah, on. you can give top five. <laughs> um, I think now contemporary Kendrick. Yeah. Just because, like, outside of just rap, just musically, the the way he crafts his albums, it speaks to like a a, a longer tradition of music. Yeah, and you know? and it makes you wait. <laughs> yeah, but it, it makes you it, wait. He puts in the work between albums, yeah. It, another one is D'Angelo. He's also his music is very linked to the past, but it's it's so mm. new. It's in like, it's in like the lineage of Prince, you know. So it's like, I like that kind of thing. I like artists, contemporary guys that speak to older older traditions. But like, if I have to serve all time. Um, Felakuti. No, <laughs> I would like yo. I have to say for me, it's Hendrix. Mm. Because like out of Hendrix's music came uh, Parliament Funkadelic, Sly the Family yeah. Stone, and like from there came disco, boogie, funk, techno, yeah. house, yeah. hip hop, into hip hop. Yeah. 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 Okay. Next question. Favorite TV show. Or series. All time. Okay. Oh, 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 yeah. All right now. Right now, I'm not watching anything particular. Like, I think YouTube is my TV now. <laughs> yeah. It's actually quite strange. No, you I think know, it's like, a... watch little bits and pieces of, of stuff. Yeah. I think we're going to actually, we're going to touch on that a little bit later. Um, um, but, like, in terms of series. Yeah, all time. Yo, I'd have to say Fresh Prince, my bro. I, 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 I knew because it speaks to your story. Yeah, yeah, like 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 Fresh Prince. I was watching this, like you know, this court TV thing, no, mm. this uh, um, paternity court, <laughs> yeah? and and this this lady, he had like a little breakdown in in the court thing. Um, they asked him about his father, like, because this Prah was saying he's not the dad and whatnot. And then this, this light is, so the judge asked him, like, why are you so emotional? So he said, like, he was fine until he saw the one episode where um, World's father doesn't want to be around mm. him. And then he cries. Mm. And I remembered exactly which episode that was. Yeah. What's, that's, that's a mad scene. Yeah. And, like, I think a lot of Fresh Prince, him being... It's funny you made the reference earlier. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I would say you Fresh Prince. Yeah. 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 Of Delft. But, Fresh but, but, of Delft. But who couldn't relate to Fresh Prince? Yeah, exactly. It was, a, yeah. It was an excellent show. Uh, next one. Igoli or Seven the Lion? Seven the Lakes. Seven the Lakes. And I want, the next one is a very important question. Uh, yeah, our, that, friendship, oh. our friendship wow. hinges on this. Pineapple, pineapple on pizzas, yes or no? No. No. 
That's <laughs> no, no, thank you. There's only one answer to that question, <laughs> and the answer is no. No. Come at no, me you. with your pineapple asses. It's not <laughs> even culturally right. <laughs> it's just wrong. <laughs> no? It's just wrong. It's you, almost like my thing like with Caribbean or something. No, no, yeah. fuck it. Don't, let's not mess around with our lives, you know? Life yeah, is important. Like, no. We're not going to mess around. Okay. Um... So yeah, that was our speed run. Uh, I had another Listen question. Listen to me, I'm bothered remember. by something though. Just yeah. like a disclaimer. Yeah. I see the English <laughs> is my favorite artist. Mm. Yeah. But like, it's, it's fucking difficult, bro. Yeah, that, <laughs> we're actually going to... Don't take backsies, man. I don't, I don't want to misrepresent my tastes. Yeah, we're actually going <laughs> to give you time now to move into that because mm. the next thing we're going to talk about is the actual field of study you involved in right now, um, which is your PhD topic, which hinges quite a lot, quite a lot yeah. on music. So just give us a little background on that. Okay, so with with my PhD, um, I'm studying Afrofuturism, which most people kind of equate to to like Wakanda and you know uh, mm. Black Panther, um, just images of of like black people in space clothes or in space or futuristic and stuff mm. but it's actually a bit more than that it's it's more of a philosophy of uh, um, historical recovery in a sense mm. like if you think about um, African Americans for instance like with slavery they were like literally cut off from mm. the continent names origin history religion stripped mm. So a lot of black art speaks to that particular uh, uh, um, era of history mm. where identities were stolen and, and almost like a new blackness Identity. had to be created. Yeah. Mm. Mm. So like us in the, in the colonial world, we also experience that. I mean, like the colored community, for instance, there's slavery um, and there's colonialism. Uh, most people don't know the historical story. Yeah. You know, the origin and all of that. That's kind of unnatural. So Afrofuturism mm. speaks to, to that aspect of black art. Um, so it's it, it, it's decolonial. Um, it imagines a blackness in the future. Mm. But it also speaks to the historical struggle uh, um, of like black people in the modern era through mm. slavery, colonialism and so forth you know um, a good example of that would be like not to use the the conventional ones um, what's a good example I can give you without saying Black Panther <laughs> actually like like say like Jimi Hendrix is mm. a good example of it because like uh, the way he made his guitar sound he used technology in a way that no mm. one did so it's it's this age old blues tradition and this uh, technology in, in this um, foot switch that he used to use with his guitar mm. and he literally change the tra trajectory of music mm. through yeah. like 
an historically black art form and the use of technology. Mm. And a lot of the iconography that he used, you know, like he spoke about Neptune and he's a voodoo mm. child yeah. and so forth. So yeah. that's what my, my work speaks to, art and um, future thought, the future of blackness, blackness and technology. Mm. Sakaraka. Yeah. And, and you're using the um, Parliament Funkadelic as your primary... No, I'm looking at African forms. Okay. So mm. so there's a lot of African-American Afrofuturism that we, we see, like Parliament Funkadelic, Earth, mm. and Fire, you know, uh, um, uh, Prince sometimes mm. is very yeah. Afrofuturistic. Then you see films uh, that like, like Black Panther, Blade, yeah. for instance, you see but like there are expressions from the from the continent that we we overlook mm. like uh, um artists like Spook Matambo mm. you know that that like almost project quite though into the future but like also imagine South Africa in the future you know yeah yeah uh, or if you look at Dukum i know you know mm. the the dude of Dukum um yeah um, Mario yeah that kicked me off the decks there at your party. Mm. Yeah. Oh, Roach. I remember, but I... Roaches. Roaches. Yeah. Yeah, Like, I'm studying what, what Roach is doing. I mean, yeah. like, uh, they did the song, Lani Opus. Yeah. No? That song speaks to the historical condition of the top system mm. and, and stealing of land and colonialism. But the video was almost like this horror... Uh, a mm. zombie apocalypse type vibe mm. you know so it speaks to kind of the historical moment but it also speaks mm. to this this future dystopia if we don't change this shit the past will repeat itself you know yeah, that that video did um, invoke a lot of I'm trying um, to do, what was it the, the, the lead the rapper of the group Isaac Mutant yeah Isaac so. Mutant yeah. Yeah. You see, yeah. even Isaac Mutant, mm. that idea that he's a mutant, a shape-shifting yeah. thing, yeah. and mm. so forth. That's so Afrofuturistic. So mm. I'm looking at these people's art, you know, the, the, the unsung uh, heroes of, 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 I like to call it, like, sounds, science fiction. Yeah. Sonic fiction. Mm. It, it, it's like uh, uh, the written word is a very Western form of, of sharing an idea, but yeah. we do mm. it with music and sound. Mm. So my, I, I love sound for that. So mm. if you take that song, or even like say like youngsters, uh, um, Young van Riebeek, no? mm. Mm. it speaks to the historical moment of, of them taking land and, and, mm. and bringing slaves and us revolting and so forth. But also it's futuristic in the sense that like the shit is the present day thing. Mm. And we're looking to an earlier moment to warn us about the future. Yeah. Yeah. To say like, hey, if we don't stop niggas from looting and we don't take the land back, we're going to have this thing in the future as a problem, you know. No. Yeah. So you're still repeating yourself. Right? Yeah. So yeah. It, it's, it's art that uses technology and, and, and it's history to like but speak to future moments yeah i don't think many but people are aware of the rich oral history that africa has i was absolutely yeah, I was, yeah, it's an extension of that oral history hip-hop mm. 
Yeah. But also, I think it's just the a lot of the storytelling and information sharing happened using the arts, um, even before colonialism. And that, uh, in a tribe sense, it was always passed on through song, stories, yes. things like that. But I think just actually just combining our previous conversation with this, the ty- the, com- the the conversation of the research you're doing is vital for the youth within our communities with, with regards to that sense of identity because of yep. Western media and yeah. a, a, a lot is using art forms that are not from the continent or, or from the country or doesn't take in yes. their experience. They're following basically what's happening in, in the Western world. Yeah. So that sense of identity and also the pride in artists that came before or the pride in someone who came from a similar background to you is something very important when it comes to dreaming or aspiring to things. You can see that Absolutely, someone yeah. from a similar background or, or someone part of my, who I see as my tribe, excelling or, cre- or, or creating yeah. things that, 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 that I can relate to is very important with, with regards to the youth. Because if the youth is just following someone else's um, outlook or following what someone else is doing and trying yeah. to copy it, it's not really them creating something new. It's them just trying to to fit yeah, in someone yeah. else's shoes. Uh. I mean, yeah. look, art engineer society, you know. Yeah. So, like, my interest is is in art that engineers black futures and, mm. and takes black people into consideration when thinking about the future. Like you're saying, the the Western world creates. There are literally people that work as futurists in these countries. Mm. Mm. I know this for a fact. I've let, I've been asked to join a, a, a board of a futures company in, in Finland recently, mm. just as an advisor because mm. of my work. But these people are churning out scholarship about the future and shaping it. Mm. So, like, my work just speaks to that. Mm. You know, it's to say that, like, uh, from our position we need to have an imprint on the future. Yeah. It's sort of like you can think of it as, as chronopolitics, uh, uh, chrono meaning time. Yeah. Mm. Uh, it deals with the, the issue of blackness and time. Mm. You know, how do we engineer better futures that are equal, uh, better housing, mm. eco-friendly and so on for us? How do we take the land back in equitable ways? You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Uh, things like that. And also chronopolitics in the sense like having the agency to, to revisit moments in history mm. and, and challenge those narratives. You know, like the Jan van Riebeek, uh, the, 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 the uh, 1652 narrative we know. Mm. There's now a book out called The Lie of 1652 by mm. this dude, Patrick Millay. Check him out, he's a, he's a colored uncle that was in the ANC, and he did a lot of research to challenge that historical narrative. Mm. So his work falls for me in, in the ambit of Afrofuturism because he's dealing with historical moments and, and time, mm. and also altering perceptions for the future. Mm. You know, I, so I think that, I think that's important because also, on a like on a mindset level I'm thinking now from a youth's perspective is that you have to start thinking about what's going to happen when you're out of your situation like you should talk about land you start yeah. thinking now already about when you get land when land is accessible to you absolutely 
you start instead of thinking just now or in the past think about our situations now and and it, the situation right now is because what happened in the past you should think about forward it's a kind of creating hope yeah through mm. these sort of mediums saying that we will be ahead we will be equal and we will excel hyperstition uh, yeah, yeah. Mm. you know the um, concept of hyperstition you know what hyperstition is hyperstition is when you speak something into existence Mm. like like say if you say like you're taking people on a hike Mm. and you tell everyone on the hike that this thing is going to be treacherous it's it's going to be it's going to be such a shit hike it's super hot Mm. it's dangerous and all of this people Mm. will experience that on the hike they'll feel Mm. like it's dangerous They'll yeah. feel like they had a harder time climbing it because the precedent was set. So, mm. like, with hyperstition, if you think of art, the way someone envisioned, like, say, uh, 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 Back to the Future, mm. when we watched Back in Back to the Future, we already thought of the future using that discourse yeah. and that lens. We expected cars to do X, Y, Z, and so forth, right? So, if you look at Elon Musk, you can't say that that the, the that film didn't have an impact on what the Tesla mm. is today. Yeah. Hyperstition. That idea was put out. Discourse was of the future was put out, and people mm. lived up to that. So if you say democracy in 20 years' time must mean mm. three presidents in one country, yeah. you're seeking yeah. a possibility <laughs> the possibility of that, yeah. for that. Yeah, they, they, yeah. there's now a, 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 a discourse to speak about it, and there's mm. actually the artistic ability to imagine this thing, how it can happen. The, the way I'm seeing it now, Mike, is this type of or like using art or music is basically like a binoculars and you're passing it to someone to look at it. so the binoculars is kind of the medium yeah. that you're using and you're just opening people's minds to look way further ahead at, yeah. at not a better time but you, a time where things uh, like that you cannot think ahead addressing, of yeah. addressing the past and moving yeah. to a better future yeah, especially you know, this is the also medium like that not, people understand. I, mm. I, I must say, like this, this term Afrofuturism is a scholar, very scholarly term, but mm. there's an ancient uh, Akan uh, um, concept called Sankofa. You must have heard about it in hip hop. Uh-huh. You hear a lot of hip hop tracks use the idea of Sankofa. Sankofa means looking back to move forward. And mm. it's symbolized by a bird with an egg in its mouth and it's looking mm. back, but it's flying forward. If mm. you Google it, Sankofa, you'll see it. And what that means is the future is an egg mm. and uh, the bird is moving forward with this egg, but it's, the bird is looking back mm. so that it doesn't repeat the mistakes and that it, 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 it fixes the holes of the, f- of the past. In its making of the future. Yeah, there's actually a, uh, a movie called Sankofa. Yeah, yeah, which is about that actually. About that concept, yeah. And you so you see it like in in hip hop, how it manifests is through sampling. Yeah. Mm. When people sample something, they're sampling an older track, but they they're making it new again. 
it's paying homage and saying I have knowledge of self yeah. I know my trajectory mm. yeah I mean that sort of thing I feel that about everything um, with regard to music except my artist is different I like to go in the realm of snow and vanilla ice um, oh my word <laughs> those are big inspirations to me uh, <laughs> and they've done a lot for the culture. <laughs> they have, they have. They actually have, yeah. I mean, that's yeah. a totally different conversation. Uh, and I often get into heated debates with regard to the um, opening the door for many other artists, yeah. Um, so, like, yeah, so we, you having, this is obviously a big passion, you're looking forward to. To moving that through how have you seen young people or have you still have you already seen young people start to sort of move towards this movement and and start to understand and 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 take that on board or or, or at least uh-huh. in, in its infancy um because i know there's still a long way to go with regard to that um are we at least on our way to that level of understanding yeah, I, I think it, it, it's like any concept, like say feminism, when they coined the term, it already existed in many communities. There are many communities where women ran shit. And I mean, like say like our community, for instance, like the Cape Town, uh, mm. colored, say my colored now community. Mm. We know that feminism also exists, even though there's like, a, 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 a lot of like violence against women but mm. we know that there's a lot of women who run households and families yeah. that are matriarchs that even uh, some gangsters are scared of their own mothers mm. you know so like like a concept like that Afrofuturism is something that black people do through art mm. without naming it that Mm. Uh, like like hip hop is an Afrofuturist art form because it it looks to the past, it seeks Africa, you know, mm. like with a drum machine, initially like Africa Bambata, and then they gave their names, mm. they, they they renamed themselves. Yeah, mm. your MC name. Firstly, it's a new identity, a black identity you're taking. Mm. You no longer uh, Christopher Wallace. You Biggie now. Yeah. Mm. So there's a there's a autogenesis, a, a, a rebirth through your art of yourself as a black person. Then, like, also using hip hop as an idiom, uh, using like say drum machines. No one was using drum machines like that. They were meant mm. for practice, but they started using it to do electro. They were innovators and they showed black innovation and that blackness and technology, even though we subdued, we, if you give us any technology, we, f- we fucking take it to a new length, mm. you know. Same thing with jazz and the piano. Mm. All those jazz instruments that you see were for classical music. Yeah. The guitar was not made for blues, mm. you know. So, like, uh, uh, um, when we, we love music, for instance, because music is something that is... Also, black music itself is just Afrofuturistic. Mm. 
Mm. It leans on tradition. It's always looking forward to the new innovation. Uh, um, if you look at it globally now, black music is probably the number one asset on this planet. Mm. Yeah. If you take black music and, and, and art forms out of this world as it is now, everything will fail. Mm. Because even the fashion industry relies on hip-hop and black culture for aesthetic. Mm. You know, so so we are innovators and we 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 actually pushing the future in a big way uh, without political power. But we're using technology and we're also looking to redress the past always. Mm. You know, um, if you look at the language surrounding Africa, it's always development, development. Yeah. You know, mm. we, we, we're moving. You know, so we all Afrofuturists, we're just not studying the art and, and the aesthetics and the philosophies uh, and putting it in a package and creating sort of like a lens for someone to say, oh, my work is Afrofuturist. Yeah. Mm. Okay, so you, so you also... You also DJ, right? So you've mm. done quite a few events, and you've even um, done the um, jazz fest, I think, a few times. Oh, yeah, I, twice, I right? did that electronic so, music festival. Yeah, and so like, like we spoke about earlier, and you were talking about like the idea of a DJ making people dance and playing the popular music and being in the yeah you know commercial clubs. Mm. Um, but obviously I've experienced shows that you've done and, and it seems to me like a more of a musical education and uh, promoting that sort of greater level of, under- of understanding so can you just talk about about that like and how sort of that ties in with things and also like uh, how the, you know you've come into to doing that sort of thing so like uh my DJing is mostly from vinyl. Um, I'll start with how I came into it. Uh, growing up in Delft, we didn't have like a CD player when like CD players came out. So we still had cassettes and vinyl. So we were recording with cassettes on like the radio and so on. Um, and we had a lot of records in the house and we had a turntable. And my parents, my uncle and my aunt, they used to like listening to music, but they were so lazy to use the turntable. So us ladies became the vehicle. So I was always the person who was asked to put music on. So say on a Friday night, we're just chilling, and my aunt maybe has a beer or something. Then she'll say like, your spiel for slicker, I'm Marvin Gaye. Then I'll put the first track on and then like just to stay awake, I'll just put on another track and another track and so on. So I just started like really liking music, Um, not particularly vinyl. I actually hated it because it was embarrassing (laughs) when people came around and they like saw you at a turntable and they never see the player. It was cut. But then like when I became a teenager, I used to go to this flea market and there was like a whole lot of records and they were like 50 cents a rand and so on. So then I'll take my, my pocket money 
and now buy records. Like anything that like really interested me uh, that I just saw on TV or like uh, um, for me, I, I had a, a Queen album when I was 13, I still have it. Um, Beatles, I saw lots of references on TV, about, like the Beatles. So I got the Beatles and I just started like discovering music like that. And it was just something I carried with me. I, I remember, um, Reems, I don't know if you can remember this. Yeah. The first Sing time I came to your house, Sing I asked if your dad has, vi- yeah. has vinyl. Yeah, Sing Records, you fucker. And then, <laughs> and then I chipped, like, I still actually have your dad, Stevie Wonder and Bob Marley. Mm. <laughs> because, like, I was like, oh, people don't want this shit. So everyone I, I met, I was like, oh, do you guys have vinyl somewhere? Uh. You know, so... I didn't know it was a thing until 2010 and I got I was married now 2011 I was married so I saw this vinyl uh, party and I went to it I was like oh shit this is a thing and at that point I had a record collection already and it just motivated me more to sort of I was always the music guy amongst friends Mm -hmm. Um, but like now it's moved into scholarship um, and it's no longer just like vinyl like collecting vinyl for the sake of vinyl Um, I've come to understand that like a lot of black history is encoded in sound and that sound is a lot of it is still on vinyl so there's an archive of black history. Remember, we didn't have political power for mm. about 400 years. So no one was writing books and, mm. and pushing our ideas and stuff forward. But what was happening is we were creating art and sound. So like since the, the 1920s, vinyl has been in production. And then now we're living in the digital age. Mm. But not everything on vinyl has been put over into digital. So there's a whole backlog of black history and black creation and artistry that is still trapped on this physical medium. So like what what my scholarship is, is sort of building a sound archive and also like uh, playing with, playing against the the Western notion that, that, that the written word is king. Yeah. You know, so sound is now my primary text that I want to do my scholarship with. And a lot of that sound is in the archive of, of vinyl. But also, if you look at the songs that are on the, those songs themselves have rich histories. You yeah. know, like if you listen to say uh, Nina Simone, Mississippi Goddamn, for instance. Yeah. Right? It will tell you about what was happening in Mississippi, the lynchings, but also it will show you how those people were feeling. Yeah. Because sound can do, can make you get goosebumps. It can make you feel something, you know what I mean? Yeah, mm. like auditory, auditory response. I yes. Mean, even as, even as, um, as early or late as, as NWA, fuck, uh, you know, with the stuff and the, they were lynched or they were beaten up by the police everybody's always seen absolutely i mean they were making a statement and i mean ice cubes today was a good day gave us mm. an insight into what was happening 
I mean, yeah. the, 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 the poetry of the song itself was merely like, today was a good day because I didn't have to take out my AK. Yeah. Which is in itself lyrically uh, arresting because you're like, oh shit. I mean, yes. You know, like... Um, These are the poets of our time. Of our generation, mm. exactly. And so we look at those things and, and also like taking from, from various types of like... Uh, um, again oral histories and that sort of thing and using that um, as a platform to, to showcase their little little spot or their little area of the world because we know yeah. growing up in areas of that nature they can become in itself a prison or mental prison right I mean no, no. you growing up in that area some people grow up and only know that you know mm. and so showing highlighting that to the rest of the world is, is quite a powerful message um, yeah and i remember when we were but it's not only about uh, uh, about yeah. uh, about saying the story you know uh, like i, I want to make this point yeah. because like sound has been something that uh, um the western world has almost said like nah this is not something that we can study it's because they weren't creating text in sound and song form. But like now, uh, our scholarship, if we're moving towards decolonial thinking, we have to center sound because sound is, is, is such a superior thing that if you think about like how you interact with any text, right? The visual is obviously very like, uh, like visceral and very like real to you, right? Yeah. Mm. But so is sound. <coughs> If you want to set a mood, if you want to set a tone, you know, a certain sound is somber, another uh, 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 tone can be bright, yeah. another one can strike fear, you know, it can make you feel something that like uh, the written word can't, mm. you know, and, and, and it's also something that like, it takes a real artist if we want to say like people like Shakespeare and Mozart and, and, and Beethoven were real artists if you listen to Miles Davis or you listen to James Brown or you listen to, to Aretha Franklin singing a gospel song you will feel something that you can't feel from Mozart yeah. you know and that blackness that, that feeling that is what's encoded in that sound and that is a valuable text you know yeah like i'm just um relating what you what you're saying uh, michael to for the colored culture like a lot of the way we speak has yeah. sounds like people in my office we talk about sound effects stuff I let them off you understand <laughs> <laughs> but he says it's a way of, of using that as using the sounds as, as sticks yeah. in the way we communicate in the click in in, 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 yes. in the koi and the sans uh, languages but even if I take it to my day cupping a beat on the desk was yeah. a form of expression you, know, you, yes. you would be the quiet class and somebody hit, hit uh, a beat on the desk and everyone would just accept it as norm and so another person will, will hit along well, or someone will start singing yeah the origin of the, re the remix yeah I, I, this is what i say to like people that want to know about like the importance of sound that that beat mm. that you say you're cupping on the desk yeah 
right? Would you believe that that beat has a cultural origin? Mm. You heard it somewhere. Yeah. And it's it's been going for generations. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. Yeah. You know that beat, there's actually an Angolan rhythm. You heard in Brazilian music. Oh. You heard in the Cape. Yeah, it yeah. was imported through slavery. You don't hear Indian music mm. with that side, with that with that beat. But you, as a colored person, when you make that beat on the, on the bench, you don't even know that like you, no. you are actually a, a, a vehicle of of like a historical text. Yeah, you passing you're passing on. That, yeah, you 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 yeah. almost like an oral histo- historian, but you're doing historian, it with sound yeah. now. Mm. You know, you, you brought forward a piece of culture. Yeah. yeah. Guys, I'm very cognizant of, really cognizant of time. We've, we've been at it for quite a while. I think <laughs> we could have this conversation for days. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> definitely, Mike, we want you back on again to like further this, further this conversation. Yeah, and definitely. Especially m- moving into the to the uh, into the oddity history and that sort of thing. Um, and maybe just maybe get another guest also with have some counter counter yeah, yeah. um but i think we should um wrap it up mike uh any uh any parting words where can people find you um get your listen to your mixes and then that sort of thing um instagram michael batch b-h-a-t-c-h you find me on Instagram, uh, not don't do Twitter, Facebook. If I don't know you, don't add me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Mixcloud, and like I also do this uh, Sunday show on A11 Radio. It's sort of regular, irregular. That's like every Sunday. It's sort of just me playing records that we know that we grew up with. Uh, um, just like. Nostalgia, Sunday nostalgia. Mm-hmm. Having fun with that. Um, on my Mixcloud, you can find a lot of that stuff. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, like, you'll find on my pages, you'll find some of my scholarship. Um, you'll see how it links into my DJing and mm. whatnot. But, yeah. Perfect. I don't really, I mean, I don't really push social media in that mm. way. But it's... I'm yeah, always, I'm always grateful to hook up with people through social media, and I've done yeah. so in the past. So. I think this might elicit some people to want to, you know, go for and learn more. Yeah, direct, definitely. Maybe be directed into the right places. Um, if we we're gonna put this on a couple of places, and hopefully we can maybe link those things in the bio. Um, I will definitely yeah. have some Instagram posts of Mikey, and we'll link those in the bio as well, or we'll link that mm. in the post as well. So. Mike, thanks a lot for the time. No, thanks, bro. Definitely. Thanks for the knowledge. For me. Yeah, it was eye-opening. Um, so, we'll thanks for the platform. <laughs> <laughs> we'll definitely, I'll th- we'll definitely have you on again. Um, mm. In fact, I'd like this to be semi-regular, like throughout the year, um, because I think there's so much that we still need to uncover for, uh, with regard to the subject. And it's such a, a broad subject. And I think yeah. it's important importance that it's we very important. get this knowledge out there. All right, so with that Yeah, and big said, ups to you guys for like doing this. Okay. I mean, all the best for, for whatever you envision for the future. 
with this uh, show. Yeah, we just I had to split joy being on here. We like the fun Christmases of um, podcasting. <laughs> yeah, and like I have regular people like myself on. I mean, you know, it's, uh, to be interviewed um, is kind of like it's a strange thing if you're not famous or popular. Mm. Yeah. But it also is like everyone has a voice these days, you know yeah. what I mean? And you yeah. don't want to, you guys are a nice hub for picking mm. ideas for people. Yeah, and I think mm, that's you know. exactly what our, the ethos of this uh, show is going to be. We? Oh, we're not um, particularly, our main intention is not uh, with regard to popularity or anything. It's more are about we? ideas and mm. thoughts and sharing that sort of thing. And so, um, yeah, that's we'll end on that. And community. And community, like definitely. Yeah. Just in closing, I'd like to say to like whoever, if you're sending your kids to varsity, and you want to ask me a question about it, please shoot. I mean, I should be of some value after the show, after listening for so long. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, like, look, these things have value if you if you mm. can kind of reach out to other people and yeah. you can say, like, okay, I can help someone with X, Y, Z, you know. Yeah. Definitely. No, definitely. All right. Um, so we're going to end on that. Yeah, thanks uh, a lot, Mike. Thanks a lot, Mikey, and you will catch us again next week with a <laughs> different uh, kind of podcast. We're going to be getting oh, yeah. into some home decor and some, you know, some good advice for young mothers. All right, so <laughs> signing mothers. off. <laughs> Peace in the middle legs. Cheers, Cheers, guys. Three brasser from Cape Town speaking to people. And those people are speaking back Welcome to the Don't Know Show